Welcome to Mind Love, episode 259. Today's episode is all about overcoming stress-induced brain fog. Research shows this too, taking actionable steps, even if they're small, even if you're listening to this now and after this, you, you just take five minutes and kind of breathe. It makes a difference and it makes you feel like, hey, at least I'm empowered and I can do something right now. And sometimes those kind of things stop the beat up cycle going on where we're like, oh my God, another day where I didn't do what I was supposed to do or I'm overwhelmed and then we could beat ourselves up. So just taking one actionable step, even if it's you know a 15 minute walk outside, um, can kind of change some of that self-worth that starts to get low too. And then again, reinforces the habits that maintain brain fog. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I'd like to share a review from Scoop Sequel Slav, who says, I cannot say enough good things about Melissa's podcast. In the past, I was never into podcasts, but I came across Mind Love around January of 21 and have been hooked ever since. I've listened to almost every single episode during my commute to work in the morning. Melissa's so real and raw, yet easygoing. The interviews flow so naturally and easily keep my attention, which is normally hard to do. I've tried listening to other podcasts and always come back to this one. It's been so critical in my own self-love journey and has played a huge part in the growth I've had over the last year and a half. I've truly learned so much about life and myself from this podcast, and I hope to continue to learn from Melissa and her guests for a long time. Oh, may I call you Scoop? Because I have a deep, deep love for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to write this. It means so much to me. Do you ever experience brain fog? Honestly, I'm pretty sure I'm going through it right now. (laughs) Pregnancy is weird. I'm trying not to let all of the expectations for pregnancy affect my experience because I know how powerful the placebo effect is. And I swear, the moment I learned about pregnancy brain last time was the moment I started feeling it. Maybe I just brought awareness to it and started to notice, but it's also possible that once I knew it was an option, I just believed it was happening. Oh, and then they just tell you that you're never the same after, pregnant or not. Now you've got mom brain. What the hell? But they also say brain fog hits you more when you age and when you don't get enough sleep, when you drink too often, when you smoke too much weed, and when you're stressed. So now that we've determined that the entire population likely has brain fog, we can start the episode all in, right? Well, first, what even is brain fog? It's not technically a medical condition, but it is a set of symptoms that affect your ability to think, like that uncomfortable feeling of being spaced out. You walk into a room and can't remember what you came in for. Or you're mid-story and you forget what you're saying. It tends to affect executive function, which involve all the skills used in planning, organizing information, following directions, and multitasking. So basically, it's a whole lot like the ADD I experience, just coming at me for different reasons. I know that it's going to be a rough day when I spend a big chunk of my morning looking for something that I'm already wearing. And yeah, 
It sounds kind of lighthearted and temporary, like it will clear up over time, but new research is actually showing that it can affect some people for months and take over a lot of aspects of life. And if the cause is that you're tired or you're drinking too much, the cure is simple. Not always easy, but it's simple enough. But when it comes back to stress, the way out is a little more complicated because usually stress isn't just from one thing. We take on too much at work while trying to run a household and maybe raise kids or finish goals while prioritizing health. And then you're thinking about a career change or you lose a job and finances are tight or the world shuts down and everyone's getting sick. There are endless reasons that we're all a little more stressed out than usual. And we know how much stress affects our health, or at least you should. It affects every aspect of health, including your susceptibility for disease. But usually we push through anyways because all this shit needs to get done, right? So when it starts to shut down your mind too, is that when you'll finally listen? And if the daily to-dos still need to get done regardless, what can we actually do to clear our heads and think better again? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Dr. Jill Weber. She's a clinical psychologist who works with people managing anxiety. She also writes a blog for Psychology Today, and she's the author of Be Calm, as well as, you guessed it, Overcoming Stress-Induced Brain Fog. So three key things we will learn are how brain fog sets the stage for learned helplessness, how to overcome survival mode with emotional awareness, and actionable steps for dealing with brain fog in the moment and long-term. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Dr. Jill Weber to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So today we're talking about stress-induced brain fog, but I want to know what exactly is stress-induced brain fog? Is all brain fog from stress? What are some of the symptoms so that we know that this is what we're dealing with if it's something that's affecting us? Okay. Well, yeah. What is stress-induced brain fog? That's a great question. We all have stress. We all have acute stressors that come and go. It's more this sort of chronic, never-ending stress, you know, and maybe you're living your life and your days feeling like, okay, I'm going to get to the other side of this, but the other side just sort of never comes. Like you finish one task or there's a big decision you need to make or a work event or project, and then you hope after that you're going to feel better, but that just never comes. You just feel like you're swimming upriver all the time. And that kind of chronic stress, you know, releases the stress hormones in our brain, which is totally normal. But when we have acute stressors, they go back down to baseline. So, you know, you might be in a traffic jam and feel kind of the pulse of adrenaline surging through your system. But by the time you get home and you're out of the traffic jam, you're able to feel at ease again. But stress-induced brain fog is when there's kind of these prolonged stressors that never really get fully quenched. And so you're operating at a deficit and your stress hormones are releasing more than is typical or they're not returning to baseline. 
are you reading my daily planner? Because (laughs) it's basically laid out how I've been feeling for really since having a baby, honestly. There's just always another task coming up. And I do think there's something about parenthood that you have these moments of just bliss and total present moment. But man, trying to maintain a business at the same time is no joke. And I've definitely had to adjust, not just, well, I've had to adjust everything, but a lot of it is the expectations of myself because I do know how impactful stress can be on the body, on the brain. And I know that is one thing that you talk about. How exactly does chronic stress impact the brain so that we know the consequences or what's at stake if we don't deal with this? In so many ways. I mean, just a myriad of ways and ways that I know even in, as I researched for writing this book, it really it, it is surprising how many ways. But at the very basic level, you know, even if even what you just described, right? Like, you know what that feels like when you wake up and you feel like you're already behind the eight ball and you've got too much incoming and, you know, not enough resources to, to manage it. And, you know, you just start to feel kind of like you're slogging through and your memory's not as sharp. So what it does to the brain, I guess, you know, and in my in my book, I sort of outline the different ways that it affects, you know, relationships. It affects obviously focus and memory, our ability to be present. And, and a lot of this has to do with because of like the stress hormones, as I said, being released. It also has to do with not really encoding what's going on in our world, you know? So, you know, when you really pause to take things in, whether through mindfulness or just writing a list, and it's not just jotting things down, but you know the difference. When you actually are like, okay, I'm taking in this data, it gives your brain a second to sort of imprint it and encode the information. And when people are going through chronic stressors, they're not doing that as much. And so they feel like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I mean, I've had many clients I've seen over the past few years that say, well, they actually went to a medical doctor first thinking something's wrong with their brain or their health, you know, and after certain things are ruled out, it's like, okay, no, it is stress or anxiety, but, you know, we know there's a mind-body connection and when our bodies feel healthy, obviously that informs our stress level. And the, and the other is also true when our environment is overstimulating and overwhelming, it affects, you know, our brain. It also affects our energy level, our ability to be present, our ability to focus. You know, the other thing is, this is obvious, right? Like we know healthy routines help us to feel better, like exercising, talking to people, doing our work, having time to relax. But when the brain is engaging that kind of chronic stress response where you're sort of in like survival mode a lot of the time or fight or flight is another way to put it, then even those kind of routines are are exhausting. So we beat ourselves up like, oh my gosh, I should have, you know, done mindfulness today instead of binging on TV. But the reality is like your brain's hungry, you know, it's exhausted, it's vulnerable, and it's just looking for like the easiest way to get some relief, even if it's totally numbing out, which is usually like the low hanging fruit, the the least amount of effort involved. Um, So these things really kind of like, you know, reinforce each other. And when our brain is depleted and not getting the kind of nourishment it needs, of course, it's even less likely to want to go do that. So it's really easy to tell people like, well, you need to exercise and you should do meditation and stuff. But it really is true. Like our brains are a little bit sick when we're feeling that way. Like they just don't have the bandwidth to do it. That is always something that I'm kind of going back and forth between. I was just talking about this with a friend where at a point in my life where I am just very aware of when I'm wasting time. And so I have a very different relationship with like 
the television than I did before I had a kid. And it fluctuates so much because there was the breastfeeding time where I'm just like, well, well I can't only, to do. Yeah, there's nothing else to do. And I'm like, I feel horrible about this, but it's just what it is. And now I'm like, okay, well, I can be productive again. And so, and I'll be really productive all day long. But then by the end of the day, it's like, okay, I do just want to like sit there and take something in. And so then I'll try to read instead because- I have enough awareness right now to where I I actually can't even find something that it will interest me long enough to like, I have more fun just adding things to my list on Netflix than I do actually watching them. And so I have this whole list of things to watch that I don't watch. So then I try to read and I'll be sitting there and realize I'm a whole chapter ahead, but I have no idea what that chapter is about. So that must be. Absolutely. (laughs) Where you're not really encoding it, you know? And in fact, you know, that's exactly one of the ways, you know, chronic stress or cortisol being released on a chronic basis. Like I said, you know, the body's fight or flight response is really normal and healthy. And there's nothing wrong with having an acute bout of stress, even, you know, once a day or something, but returning to your baseline is is really important. And when that's not happening, and there's research that shows us it does those kind of you know stress hormones. I'm I'm speaking really broadly, but being released in a chronic way do in fact do impact parts of the brain involved with learning and memory, like the hippocampus. So it, it really does affect new learning and how we encode and remember things. One of the things you talk about is how brain fog actually sets the stage for learned helplessness. Can you go deeper on that? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the things you talk about is how brain fog actually sets the stage for learned helplessness. Can you go deeper on that? Yeah. And I I mean, it's again back to this, like how something unhealthy kind of reinforces more unhealthy habits or behavior. And, And I think as I talk about it, it's really important to have a lot of compassion for ourselves and for other people going through this. And and this is a really good example that many can probably relate to on some level, but you know, you you start to feel run down, you, you know, you have the chronic kind of stress, just too much incoming, not enough bandwidth to deal with it. And then over time, you can just start to believe you're kind of screwed, right? Like, oh, this is just my life. And this sort of defeatist mentality can take hold. And certainly if you grew up in an environment where that mentality was pervasive, it's really easy to get caught in that when when hardships keep coming your way. But then, it, you know, so by the learned helplessness, it's it, it can become to a point where you start to feel like, I can't do this. Like, this is just my lot in life. I'm sort of doomed. Every day will be this way, this kind of Groundhog Day experience. And once you get into that mindset, or if you've even been in it all of your life, you know, being in that mindset makes it really hard to to grow and change. But just recognizing that is the beginning of a change. You know, like if you have that kind of defeatist thinking, reminding yourself, wait, actually, there are strategies to get out of this. Strategies that people enact all the time. It does take deliberate effort, obviously, because we get into these habits and they become kind of part of our wiring. So it does take some deliberate effort, but it is possible to get out of that. But that kind of thinking really makes it like, well, what's the point, right? Like, why would I do the things in this book, for example? Because nothing, it all feels like a drop in the bucket. But research shows this too, taking actionable steps, even if they're small, even if you're listening to this now and after this, you you just take five minutes and kind of breathe and feel or observe your chest rise and fall. It makes a difference, you know? And it makes you feel like, hey, at least I'm empowered and I can do something right now. And th- and sometimes those kind of things stop the beat up cycle going on where we're like, oh my God, another day where I didn't do what I was supposed to do or I'm overwhelmed and then we could beat ourselves up. So just taking one actionable step, even if it's you know a 15 minute walk outside can kind of change some of that self-worth that starts to get low too. And then again, reinforces the habits that, that maintain brain fog. I think it's an important thing to note is that Oh, so often people might notice something and then they hope it'll change. Maybe things stay the same, whatever it is. But I think a lot of us expect that our negative habits are going to resolve themselves over time. You know, like this is something that I'm struggling with now. Like later it won't be an issue. But what we forget is that we actually have to meet that expectation with action. 
because our negative habits strengthen over time. We're building these neural connections to do the same thing over and over again to where it becomes more difficult to get out of because it's like the most paved road. And so while you were talking, I was actually thinking how thankful I am that I now meditate enough that that's becoming one of my default patterns. And it took me years to get there. Like when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I will crave meditation. And it it really is one of the easiest ways to, I don't want to call it numbing out because I feel like it's different, but I do get to just let go. And so then I'm sitting there. I don't have to do anything. There's no expectations of myself. I don't even have to press play. I don't have to pick something on Netflix. I just sit there. And and Melissa, you know, it works, right? Once you do that enough, you're like, Hey, at least I have this thing that works for me. (laughs) You know, and it's, even if you can't enact it right in that moment, it, it, brings you some peace, you know, that you have like a little home to go to. And, and there's many ways, you know, I think even, you know, some folks feel for me too, mindfulness meditation really helps. And some people don't feel that way necessarily. You know, the point is just finding your thing, you know, your way of bringing some peace to your nervous system and, and to be in your body. How do our emotions play into this as well? Because you did mention how you know, we're thinking brain fog. So we might just be picturing that as being spaced out or we can't remember things or be quite as productive. And it seems like a work impacted thing or a productivity impacted thing. But our emotions end up playing a big part of that because a lot of what we produce or depends what our self-worth is really tied into. But if our worth issues start suffering from that, then we're dealing with emotions, we're beating ourselves up. So what impact do our emotions have on really the brain fog that we end up experiencing. Well, that's a that's another really in this way to look at it is like there's just like multiple roads in, you know, to clearing the fog. And and emotions are a great one. And I think so much in our culture, right? We are we're trained to avoid them and get rid of them and, you know, really use our intellectualizing and our problem solving to be happy. And probably most people listening know that that's just falls short, right? It doesn't, it doesn't quite deliver what we've been socialized to think it would in our culture. But but brain fog, it, it can be either a precursor or a result of chronic stress in your environment, or it can be that you were operating this way already and that's caused the brain fog. But just this tendency to sort of avoid your feelings, to push them away, and to judge yourself for your feelings, like, what's wrong with me? This is stupid. I can't believe I feel this way. And over time, all that kind of unprocessed emotional baggage just, you know, continues over time. It grows, it grows. And then there can be symptoms, right? Like where you start avoiding certain parts of your life. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm just not going to socialize with the neighbors or I'm not going to take the metro. Or you get into some habit where you just kind of go to work, come home, watch TV in your basement, where you start to limit your life or you find yourself having random panic attacks, you know, and you don't understand where, why is this happening to me? So many folks that end up seeing me, it's because they absolutely were terrified by an awful panic attack. And before the panic attack, to what your point earlier, Melissa, they were thinking, you know, this will get better over time. I just got to kind of keep pushing forward. And, and, you know, uh, one day turns into a couple months and then a couple years and that unprocessed emotional baggage mounts and the stress endured. But yeah, you know, a terrifying panic attack is is extremely overwhelming for people, but it's often the result of avoiding and pushing away emotions for a long time. Also like obsessive thinking. I mean, so many people with brain fog though, it's not as if they're not productive or trying to be productive. They're spending a lot of time in their heads thinking and planning and problem solving, you know? 
But when your whole life becomes obsessive thinking, it's like, well, what's the point? You know, it's just, again, not, not the stuff that brings meaning and, and peace or outbursts where all of a sudden you're, you're crying hysterically, you know, with your boss and you're, and that's not like you, or you're not able to, you know, rein your anger in in an appropriate way. And so it comes out in a self-defeating manner. Things like that are suggestive that you might not be managing your emotional world in a way that will lead to more clarity of mind. And people are kind of overwhelmed by that. I don't know how you feel about that, Melissa, just that all of a sudden it's like, wait, you got to slow down and actually feel what's going on, you know? And that can be done kind of by like just taking off little chunks over time. Even instead of mindfulness meditation, maybe you just spend five or 10 minutes looking at your body and what you're feeling. Like, ugh, I feel kind of sick or I feel like upset or I feel disappointed that you just like give it a minute. You don't have to just blink it away and keep white knuckling through to your next task. Yeah, this is going to be a silly (laughs) example, but I spend a lot of my time researching all of the ways to fix my brain because I felt like I spent too long letting it go. But I'm reminded of when I first got a puppy and I had this little dog that weighed like one pound and he would pee on the ground and I'd sit there and think, I mean, it's like a thimble worth of pee. It's not even a big deal. (laughs) And so it's like so much more work to try to train this dog than it is to just clean up the thimble worth of pee, you know? And so right, right. So many people with little dogs do that, which is why I, I remember talking to friends at that time and they're just like, it just seems like little dogs always end up peeing in the house the whole time. And I was like, well, not mine because I spent so much time training this. And I think the same thing happens with our brain. When it starts, it's just this little thing. We might like snap at somebody or we might not be paying as close of attention to something. But we're allowing these neural pathways to deepen themselves. And so the grooves are just getting deeper Mm -hmm. and deeper. And before we know it, we have no control. We've got this out of control amygdala that's triggered by everything. And we, and then we're like, I don't have control over my body, my life, my mind, my emotions. And it's like, well, you actually can still, even even at this point of seemingly no return. And then people beat themselves up, right? Yeah. The next layer of like, oh, I, you know, what's wrong with me? I can't get it together. You know, and that that's another groove in the in yes. the cortex there. Yeah. And that will send me straight into a whole nother spiral that tends to be worse than the first one. <laughs> so I want to be really careful about that beating myself up because I did it for way too long. But what I love about your book is that you basically talk about each of the things that that affects us or affects our brain, the stress impact that it has, whether with this helplessness that we talked about or negative habits or feeling defeated and exactly what's happening in the brain and then a little exercise to help us work on that and create new grooves, new neural pathways for a healthier response. So I'd love yeah. to go through some of those. And the first one, since we're already kind of talking about that, uh, the beating ourselves up, what do you recommend doing? Say somebody's sitting here listening to this and they're like, oh my God, that's me. They're talking about me. I'm totally screwed. What would you say the first thing to do to kind of step out of that thinking? And and you're talking about the emotional reactivity in particular piece. Yeah. And I mean, just to back up for a second, I think looking at it through a brain lens is again, just a really compassionate way to understand yourself. And, you know, it's not like there's something you know, that is bad about you or that can't be changed. But you're absolutely right. Like once our brains get into certain habits, they kind of, they just sort of like act automatically. You know, we're not even consciously aware of it all of the time. But 
you know, hopefully just listening to this today, you are kind of, that is absolutely the first step is that conscious awareness of how you've been operating. And, and when your amygdala, which is that, you know, that stress response center, emotional piece of our brain. But, you know, if, if, as I use in my book as an example, like if you're, you know, hiking on a path and you see a snake, like, yeah, your amygdala is going to bring you to safety really swiftly. And that that's great. Your heart's going to beat fast and you're going to do exactly what you need to do to be okay. But if it's happening all the time, yeah, the amygdala gets fried. And it's almost just like a frightened little child, you know, that is just kind of doesn't have any skin and it can react to things that really maybe aren't as threatening to you as it, as it feels like in the moment. And if that's your situation, really the very first step, and it's a, it's a simple one, is to, is to just spend some time sitting with yourself. And it sounds simple, I should say, but a lot of people are, as I said earlier, kind of afraid to do that. So I think it's, it's helpful to structure that, maybe just set a timer on your phone for 10 minutes and just sort of observe yourself like, okay, what's going on in my body? Oh, my stomach's dropping. My heart's beating fast. I keep talking about the body because really the body is where our emotions start. And like this tendency to escape and abandon our body through going into our intellect and our problem solving and our planning is a big piece of brain fog as it is for, for so many other symptoms. But really important to start to learn to sit in there a little bit and kind of make it a home, make it make it more comfortable. And you know, at first, if it feels a little like you're noticing some sensations that are uncomfortable, which is very likely, you can just give it kind attention. So you're observing your heart's beating fast or your stomach feels sick or you're feeling a lot of physical tension, just sort of like, okay, I see you tension. I I see what's happening there. And it's okay. here's a really important one. It's okay to feel this. I'm just going to sit here with this for 10 minutes. It's not like there's something to do about it. There's not something to go search on Google, or this is in a time to just like go take a walk even. You're just sitting there letting yourself know you see it and that you're okay with that, that you can kind of hold your own hand and be present with whatever's going on in your body and, and whatever random thoughts might be coming up. Because that that's kind of second step is, you know, being able to sit with some of that stuff. And then you, yeah, you want to start observing like, huh, what is that? This is another thing, right? Is like, we can lump everything into stress. But usually when you talk to people, stress is just on the surface. You got to kind of get under that layer and look at what you're feeling. And it could be anger. It could be loss from something going on in your life. I mean, you mentioned earlier having a toddler, any kind of new stress in our life, whether it's having a child or going through fertility treatment or divorce, medical crises, certainly illness and, and loss of loved ones. All of those things really make you ripe for brain fog, right? Because now this is an extra massive shift in your life and usually an identity shift that this is just one example of many, but getting under the stress and figuring out what else is going on, it can be really important. So let's say you've just had a child or you're a couple of years into, into motherhood and that's like something you got to kind of connect with. All right, like my identity shifting, how do I make room for this? And like really look at that versus just existing in the stress state. Or somebody who has a medical diagnosis, but perhaps it's hard for them to really confront it. And maybe they're they're doing what they got to do medically, but they haven't really emotionally accepted the situation as it is. You have to kind of spend some time with yourself to do that. Otherwise, you just exist in the problem-solving, planning, hypervigilant mode as a way to escape that deeper pain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. 
But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mindlove. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I always relate it to like when you start to date somebody, if you just only have your dates and you're going to the movie theater, you're not going to know that person at all. You can go on a hundred dates with them. You actually have to have the conversations and ask them questions. And we have to do the same things with ourselves. And we assume since we're just with ourselves all the time that we're automatically the one who knows the most about us. But that's why a lot of people say like, oh, my partner knows me better than me. It's like, oh yeah, he's actually observing your patterns. You're just kind of repeating them over and over again without noticing why they come up or or whatever it is. And so I, I think that's so helpful. I, I like to, there are times where I'm too overwhelmed. And so I remember I used to say back in my 20s, especially, I was terrified of being alone. <laughs> I just like did not yeah. want to, I would actually say to people, I don't want that much time with my thoughts. And now looking back, it's so funny because I have the exact opposite goal, but <laughs> I'm so true. But I, I still know what that feels like. There's like, there's certain times where I'm just like, ah, I got to confront this. Okay. I need to go have that time with myself. And what really helps me, I know what I can handle at those moments. And, and what's feels good is, Instead of sitting on my meditation pillow like I normally do and actually like meditating into it, I'll lay down and I'll put a blanket over top of me. And so there's something about that that just makes me feel a little bit safer, a little bit more secure. And then I'll kind of tune into, okay, what's my body feeling? And I don't know. I've always... Oh, I love that. Yeah. Maybe (laughs) it's just kind of containing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. Or it just feels like everything's kind of running wild without the blanket. Now I have a weighted blanket, which is a whole nother level. Highly recommend. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it, it works exactly for that, for a lot of people, for that reason. It's just kind of like, it feels protective and calming. Yeah. And back to the dogs, always, they have their anxiety vests that you put on where it like wraps yeah. them up. They feel contained. And so I think it is, it's, it's like the animal instinct of just like feeling safe. And so... And another thing that you can ask yourself when you're spending that time is like, what does make me feel safe? What is the last time I did feel safe? And so sometimes I'll use that little trick to shift out of what I'm feeling and remember a time I was feeling something else. And it'll remind me, oh, at least this isn't forever. There are other things that I tap into depending on what's going on. Yeah, that's, that's so great. I mean, just to remember things are temporary and, and changing all the time. That, really helpful when you're feeling a lot of pain. And I mean, I also think, you know, we kind of don't want to sit with that stuff because we think it's wrong or bad. I mean, that's such an important piece of like how so many people are socialized right now, right? Like I shouldn't feel pain. 
I shouldn't feel physical pain. I shouldn't feel emotional pain. And if I am, there's something wrong with me. And really shifting that whole paradigm can make all the difference. Like the problem is we don't think we should, and we try to push it away. And then we develop all these symptoms or we develop these unhealthy habits, but really pain just simply needs to know you see it and that you're warm toward it. It's just like, okay, this is part of humanity that we're going to experience suffering and hardships and just letting yourself be whatever you are in that moment and you yourself acknowledging it, I think makes a world of difference. And it's, and maybe we overcomplicate what it is, you know, like it, it doesn't mean you have to fix it forever. You have to get to your root of what caused it and flagellate yourself or go out and make a huge plan. Just kind of be with yourself in these moments. Yeah. One of the ways that that has affected me where I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this. It's affected me differently throughout my life, but the two more recent ones, there have been times where I felt really low or overwhelmed or, or whatever. And it's like, my whole life is dedicated to this. I should be beyond this right now. So I was judging mm. that I was feeling low when I, for some reason, had an expectation that all this self-work just makes me high as a kite the whole time. But when in reality, <laughs> it's that you acquire enough tools that you have different things to pull from instead of feeling so helpless. But that, but then it's a whole new ball game with motherhood. Man, the amount of times yeah. where I've had to just journal the things I don't want to say out loud. And I'll be honest about them. Like I'm having another baby and I've journaled like, should I even be doing this? Am I even good at being a mom to one? Like sure. what? how my life is changing? I'm missing all of these things. I'm going to miss even more of those things. Like maybe I wasn't meant to do this. Like, and, and it's scary to say those things out loud because especially mothers, you don't hear them talk about that that much. Like you're not allowed to talk about, I don't, it's, see, I can't even say it. I was going to say regretting motherhood. I'm not regretting motherhood, but I, uh, I have moments but of where I miss you're that single self. It sounds like you're adjusting to motherhood and it is an adjustment process. You know? Yeah. And I miss just not being a able light to do switch. whatever I want at any given moment. Like, why didn't I just bathe I in that you. for another year? <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean, it is just, yeah, it's an all-encompassing responsibility. I mean, I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, but it is. It is just an unbelievable responsibility raising children that you can't really turn off. But, I, you know, I mean, that's a great example, actually, right? You're kind of like making this adjustment. It's not a, it's not a light switch. It, it takes time and that compassion with yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to be completely on board ever, right? It's, it's a bunch of mixed feelings, it's a bunch of mixed feelings, you know, but it doesn't mean you don't love it. You don't want to be a mom, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I had this whole meltdown and then like an hour later, I, wo I woke my son up from a nap and then he was just being so cute and he like smiled at me, came and gave me a hug and rested his head on my shoulder and said, aw, <laughs> he knows when he's being cute. And I was just like, see, these are the moments that I'm like, okay, I can't even believe I had that thought. But one of the things that you talk about is actually the benefits of identifying our shadow selves. How can we identify the shadow selves that the, maybe the parts of us that we're feeling ashamed about and then kind of switch that into self-compassion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The shadow selves. I, I mean, I mean, when you say that, I guess I'm remembering back, I think, right. Well, yeah. And the shadow selves are sort of this idea of like the things these expectations that we harbor for ourselves. And sometimes they're not even conscious. They're kind of pre-conscious, you know, they just run around back there or things that you thought you were going to achieve and then you didn't achieve and you in sort of the perfect life that maybe you had in your mind and it's not there now. I mean, it can manifest in a lot of different ways, but 
yeah, I think again, becoming conscious of that and like deciding kind of almost a decision of like, do I want to keep living out that, that shadow self? Because the more, am I making sense about the shadow self? I'm not sure. If that yeah, is- yeah, you are. What I'm hearing you say is like a lot of times when we don't take the time to identify it, we just keep repeating the patterns and then we reinforce it when that isn't necessarily our goal. Yeah. And I hope I'm being clear on the shadow self. Like It's important to slow down and think like, what are these ideas I have for myself that that maybe aren't happening for me? And yet I'm like kind of running myself at full, full tilt to try to make them happen. You know, like for example, I need to be the best employee or I need to get the most hours at work or I need to be a perfect mom or, and, and again, so I don't know that people are always completely conscious of it, but if you're running yourself really hard or you're unhappy, it's good to slow down and, and kind of check in with yourself about that. Like things that you might be expecting of yourself that are causing you a lot of pain. And then, you know, remembering like at the end, you know, when we're on our deathbeds, like I don't think many people say like, wow, I should have, you know, worked harder. I should have put more hours in at work or it should have been more productive, right? Mostly it's about wanting more experiences, more meaning, more time with loved ones and connection. So dropping some of those shadow selves or these expectations that maybe you didn't quite meet or to keep meeting them is is you know, draining you to such an extent, you know, dropping some of that or shifting down can make a huge difference. And by self-compassion, I do, I think it's like a choice. Like what kind of life do you want to have? You know, do you want to have a life where at the end of your life, you're like, well, I did it. I did everything possible, you know, or I made as much money as possible. Okay. But that isn't necessarily like what's going to make you feel like you had a complete and meaningful life. And they really can be merged together, being productive and ambitious and successful, but that, but the idea that you would do that and sacrifice, you know, being at peace and enjoying life in the moment, you know, that that's what we're seeing a lot of that's happening and being aware of that. And you kind of got to drop some of it, reformat yourself of like, Hey, maybe I'm not going to have all that, or maybe I have to like, stop thinking that way. And, and people feel a loss. Well, then I won't be effective. I won't be successful by and large. In my experience, working with people, they end up achieving more when they drop some of those ideas and hard thinking on themselves. But even if you weren't, it's still possibly worth it, you know, to give up some things that are just draining you and making you feel like you can never quite get ahead or or be the person you think you should be. Yes. I am reminded of two different exercises that really helped me just get clear at least on what those things are, because so often these goals that we're chasing are more surface level goals. It's like, well, why exactly are you running yourself to the ground? Oh, to make more money or like for this promotion. And it's like, do you even want that? Like, If you really get to the nitty gritty, do you want that promotion? That promotion is then going to take more hours. You travel more when you don't want to be traveling. You are diving deeper into a job that you are already questioning, whatever it is. Exactly. Versus asking like, okay, so why? And, And Dean Gracioso has this seven layers deep exercise. And so it's like, well, why do you want to make more money? I want to make more money so that I can more easily buy the things that I want. Well, why do you want to more easily buy the things that you want? Because of this. Well, why do you want that? Because of this. And then once you go about seven layers, you realize it all ends up landing at the basic fundamental things. Maybe it's that you want to show your kids more freedom than you grew up with, or you want to. And so it's like, well, do I need that specific promotion in order to reach that deeper goal? Likely not. Like it could be that you actually work less and you take Thursdays off to show them freedom in that way. Right. Exactly. Like getting out of that kind of rigid way of thinking. 
Yes. But, but that's actually a great example of the shadow self. It's like, okay, maybe there was something growing up like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get X or Y. So I want to overcompensate and give that to my kids. But sitting and recognizing what that is and within yourself can, can give you more options, you know? Otherwise, it's like you're just sort of hiding and trying to get rid of it through enacting a new pattern, you know, that maybe that pattern isn't the right one or that pattern's too exhausting and depleting. But I think that is another example of like being able to sit with your own losses, you know, and heartache instead of just trying to change it through through your own children. Because you're right, then sometimes you end up going too far in a direction that's self-defeating. Yeah. And another exercise that has really helped me is sometimes just tuning in and asking myself, how do I want to feel? Like if I'm chasing this goal, how do I think it's going to make me feel? Why do I want to feel that? And is there anything else that I can be doing that'll make me feel that same thing? And so often it is. Like, it's like, if it's that I want to make more money, well, then what do I want to feel? I want to feel abundance. What else makes me feel really abundant? Sometimes it's just like sitting in a field with my family, you know? And, and that's not, might not fix all your problems or take away that stress, but it's great for a good reset. And if, it, if you do it often enough, I've found that I start to actually reprioritize because I'm like, oh, I have all of this available to me right now. I don't always need to be chasing that next thing. Yeah, I, I love that. That's really nice. Yeah, it's like, it, but but you have to sit with that for a second. Like, yes. I love that idea of abundance and feeling full or, you know, wanting a bigger house. Maybe it's, you just want to feel safe. Like, it, absolutely. Like getting under that initial rigidity of thinking that there's other ways that actually might fill that bucket even in a more like sustained way, you know, because you can get that bigger house or that different job and you're still feeling that. I know a lot of people have trouble actually creating the space so that they can come to these new conclusions because they have such deep neural connections with their thinking brain and it's just constantly on a loop with all of these things. And I know one of the things that you talk about is feeling defeated by your thinking brain. What is actually going on in our brain there and how can we start to sort of disrupt that pattern? What is actually going on in our brain there and how can we start to sort of disrupt that pattern? Yeah, feeling defeated by your thinking brain. It's like kind of, I, I alluded to this earlier in the talk, just, you know, th this tendency we have that if we think th think enough and problem solve and plan enough, everything is going to work out. Like there's some, you know, gold at the end of that rainbow. And, you know, that just can go into such overdrive. And I mean, and maybe even as you're listening, you just consider if that, if you notice every time you're alone, every time you're in your car or you're between appointments or tasks, how much you're thinking about what you need to do next or what you didn't do right or what your plans are for the weekend or who you need to call, you know, it can it can just really take over and it, it's absolutely exhausting. And, you know, when that's happening, it all, there isn't really any room for the things that we know help people with psychological well-being and decrease anxiety, you know, like being present and being mindful or just laughing and being at ease, being silly. Those things end up, you know, kind of take it a sideline. You know, so even, in fact, I just wrote a blog about this idea of just decision-making, right? Like, you know, in our current culture, we're just so overstimulated by options and it feels like freedom on a surface level, I guess. Like, wow, there's 8,000 different couches one could look at on the internet, you know? But 
at least. I'm sure there's even more than that. But, you know, at a certain point, it's absolutely exhausting. And many people end up, and that's just one example, end up just not making a decision. They feel like I can't, they can, they get paralyzed. Then they have all these kind of contingency analyses going on in their brains all the time that never really get closed because they haven't made that decision yet. You can just like take over all of your waking life, you know, these kinds of things. So simplifying you know, not looking for every option possible is also okay. You know, I think particularly with the internet and all that, it, it, we do think we should be looking and researching every possible option for everything. But that's another way that our thinking brain gets hijacked. And there's many ways. Social media is another example. Overwork, you know, people that are like workaholics, overthinking, overplanning. So that's what I mean by that. And, and again, that awareness of like, oh, how much am I doing that? And then again, retraining yourself toward other things. And and you really have to think, wow, life's going fast. And what do you want to experience? Do you want to feel like that's been your whole experience of yourself on your own? Or do you want to feel like there's a way to create, there is a way, but do you want to create sort of a safe spot in your body where you can be at ease in between your tasks and responsibilities? Yeah. And so often we spend all this time planning and overthinking, but the things that we're afraid that are going to happen or the things that we're trying so meticulously to avoid, we're never going to happen anyway. (laughs) And so I think that's one of the reasons that I find it so valuable to challenge those thoughts is because we come to all these types of faulty conclusions And don't even realize that's how our whole body is responding. Like, I know how many of my fears come back to like me being homeless and dying. (laughs) I'm like, wait, it's never going to happen. Even if the worst case scenario and everything happened, thankfully I have family members I could lean on. Like, why is my body acting like this one goal or this one course launch? (laughs) If it fails, like my whole life is going to be ruined. And we don't even realize that that's what we're believing, like deep in our thoughts is at stake because we're just kind of going through all the, let me prepare to make sure that this doesn't happen. And I've got to make sure that this happens and and whatever. And then we're just stressed. and, And it's like, wait, is this even rational? Right. And in our brains, you know, because we're evolutionarily wired for that stuff, right? The negativity bias and finding the negative and trying to fix it because it's part of how we've survived. But yeah, we we can start to think all kinds of things, you know, are going to happen that are never going to happen. And pulling away from that is is really important. And it's, I don't think anyone can say they don't do that. It is definitely part of the human condition, but making that ratio, you know, three-fourths being present in your life, maybe one fourth of that is the way to go versus, you know, the opposite, that that's the way you're living all the time. One of the things that you just said a few minutes ago was how what we can realize is that we're not really experiencing any joy or pleasure anymore. And I think that's an important thing to bring up because I know a lot of people even get so caught up in all of the little tools to help themselves or to feel better in their brains that they forget to actually do the most important part, which is the feel better part. Like the point is to be able to live a life where we do experience joy and we want to wake up and live another day. And one of the things that you talk about is really recognizing the value of true play. What are some of the ways that you've found to get in touch with that uh, and to get in touch with like that side of ourselves that always prioritized it, you know, like when we're kids, we're just so in the moment. And now, (laughs) now it's like, we're so knee deep in work most of the time. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it is like, again, a counter to the productive, you know, where you're, you're in the thinking mode all the time. So this is like another way to be, you can be mindful, you can be in the moment and yeah, you can just work to adopt a more playful state of mind. And, and, you know, it kind of feeds into what we're saying, right? Like people think it's a waste of time. Like, why would I take time to, I don't know what, read the cartoons or joke around with somebody or watch a funny skit. Um, it feels like a waste of time or like not what successful people do. I have to kind of be white knuckling it all the time. Or they feel selfish, like they're raising kids and working and it doesn't feel like there's any room for their life in that. And actually, research shows that perceiving free time as wasteful actually makes it hard to be present and enjoy your free time. If you look at free time as a waste, most people still have some free time, but you look at it as a waste and you really can't enjoy it and you can't you know, feel that psychological well-being hit. But if you're able to view it as a way to be more more productive later on, which is what the research shows and actually decreases stress, then maybe that's a way to think of it as in a more productive mindset. But but yeah, it's, it is adopting a playful state of mind. One way to do that is to believe that, that research, you know, that it will help you to have a better life overall and to be able to achieve your goals. It decreases brain frog because there's something about the spontaneity of it just letting go, you know, that kind of brings down all those stress hormones. Actually, people go back to work or they go back to a task and they and they focus at a higher degree. And being playful also can be, you know, being creative. It's just doing things just for the heck of it. It's not because, you know, I wanted to do ceramics to give to all of my family members at Christmas, although that's a fine thing to do or Hanukkah. But it's because, man, I just love the feel of the clay in my hands and these different ideas I'm having in my mind, like just kind of the intrinsic joy of it um, in terms of creative endeavors. And playful endeavors are kind of like that. I mean, if you think of the last time you just cracked up for no reason, like somebody said something funny or you and a friend were in a funny situation or something in your head, you know, that's part of the release, right? That it's just so unexpected and kind of takes you over. And there, there is really, you know, a, a brain release in that. So, and, and two, like research shows that the more like present we are in, in, in our life, that the more um, happier we are, our psychological well-being increases. And of course, the happier we are, usually the more productive we are. So when you're laughing or you're playing, you know, you're usually very present. And that's why um, people do really well with that. So even let's say you have like a hard work day or your work's really stressful, you have a meeting that you can't get your brain off of, really good idea to plan something fun after that, you know, meeting up with the group of friends or a comedy skit or something to kind of take that stress down. That, That can be really beneficial. Yeah, I've found that it's easier to recognize the value of play when you're spending time with other people because that is the activity. Like I could go to my friend's house and sit on her couch and that's the activity and we're laughing and we're talking and I was spending time with her also and it's play. But what I've found is that I still want to have a life where I know how to I know how to play with myself. That sounds a little raunchy, but I, <laughs> I mean, know what you, mean. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. like have that time on my own and, and it's a little more difficult. So what I have to do to make that happen is I actually schedule it into my day planner. So I'm like, okay, well from like six to seven is play. And what I also found is that when I first started I love doing that. that, that's great. Yeah, when I first started doing that, then I got to it and I'm like, what do I, what do, I do with this time? And so now I, I create a, li- a list of, I call them my power lists. It's all the things that like 
I can't always think of in the moment, but I kind of accumulate over time. So I have all these things like playing the piano, learning the ukulele, like doing yoga in the grass, drawing. And so then I can just kind of go to it and pick one out. It doesn't take so much thought. And it sounds kind of silly or or maybe even rigid for play, but I think sometimes we need that if if we're trying to develop a habit again. It's one thing if we had always prioritized it from when we were young, but a lot of us kind of fall out of those patterns and need to reintroduce it. So I feel like there's always these little things when you recognize a goal, that intention is so important to like, it helps your mind come up with those ideas. Your reticular activating system starts to work. And so it's like, okay, yeah, I right, want to integrate right. play or I want to be less stressed out or I want this. And so it might not come all at once, but over time, be intentional about accumulating all of these little methods. And before you know it, you have a whole new right. habit in your life. A whole new like regimen. Yeah. And I think just, again, some of those mindset cues, right? Like you're just putting it in your, exactly. You're putting it in your planner, right? Like, oh, wow, that is really important. Like being in this life and enjoying it and, and being present and laughing is really, really important. <laughs> It's not just about getting the tasks done. It's like that's, and sometimes that means you drop other things, right? Like some things don't work out that day that you were supposed to do, or, you know, maybe you drop the ball on something. But I always tell people too, you can cope, right? Like maybe you drop the ball on something, but you can reconfigure and, and make it better. You know, you don't have to be perfect. And when we make room for things like mindfulness and laughter and play and, Connecting with people, even small talk, you know, talking to your neighbors a little bit more, not being all business all the time. People do feel like they're losing something. And, you know, like I said, by and large, I, I think people are more effective when they do this stuff. But you have to also tell yourself, well, if I do, I do, you know, I'll have to pick up the pieces and, and fix it and, and cope if I do. But it's hardly worth it to just kind of like have a death grip on the steering wheel for everything, you know, just to make sure you're checking all those boxes because life is hardly worth it then. You know, you don't get all that good stuff. Yeah, I love that. The last tip I'll share is just going back to that, how I want to feel. Because whenever I'm like, well, now am I adding too many things? Now I'm trying to do play and learn this and do this and blah, blah, blah then it, I just kind of check back in with myself yeah. and say, well, what's the goal? How do I want to feel? And then a lot of times mm -hmm. the answer becomes easier because I want to just feel relaxed or I want to feel happy. So can I just sit back with my tea and not worry about any of this and, and feel that? And, and then there I am. And it's easier to kind of come up with more ideas for later that match that energy that I'm carrying than it is for me to try to figure out how to feel happy when I'm super stressed out. So thank you so much for all of the research that you brought this. You have so many exercises that we've covered today, but then also even more in your book. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you, connecting with you and finding your book, where's the best place for them to connect? Oh, great. Well, my website is drjillweber.com, J-I-L-L-W-E-B-E-R, drjillweber.com. And my book, Overcoming Stress-Induced Brain Fog, is on Amazon. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 259. Your challenge for this week is to check your amygdala. This helps me when I actually understand what's going on in my mind and body. Because in the moment, when we snap back, when we're triggered, when we're emotional, we feel like we are 100% right. 
the more I remind myself that the amygdala is at work, that I have these patterns, these neural pathways, and this part of my brain specifically designed to be triggered in the ways that it's used to being triggered, I feel more in my power that I'm able to actually approach it in a new way. Because otherwise, I'm just me coming at this thing full force being like, no, I feel that everything about this is wrong and I need to share what I'm thinking. But instead, if I just take a deep breath and I'm like, all right, my first order of business is to not convince the other person that I'm right or that they're wrong or that they hurt me or whatever is happening. And I stop and think, there's that amygdala again. It at least gives me that moment of pause before reacting. And a second tip is don't beat yourself up about it. It's not helpful if you sit there and you're like, ah, damn, my amygdala, it's worse than everyone else's amygdala. But instead, you're like, thank you for trying to keep me safe. Thank you for building a pattern based on our past experiences. But I don't need this right now. This is not serving me right now. Let's rebuild something together. Or, you know, however you choose to befriend your amygdala. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. And while you're there, consider screenshotting this episode and sharing it and tagging me in Mind Love Podcast. It's one of the best ways to grow the show. And the more successful the show is, the more guests that are super stoked to come on and serve you with me. If you'd like to support the show and become one of my absolute best friends, you can join Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium, where you get early release, ad-free listening, a whole backlog of a bunch of episodes that are only available for premium members. And I might start posting some just the interviews without intros and outros, just interviews of people that I've had that I have not posted which could be kind of fun. So if you are either a premium member or you are thinking about being a premium member, send me a message on Instagram and let me know what you think about this idea. You could find all of my sponsors at mindlove.com sponsors. And just so you know how sponsors work, I do not get anything if you purchase from sponsors or anything like that. However, based on who actually listens through and doesn't skip through these ads and then does use the code or the link to purchase, They decide how much they like sponsoring my podcast and will possibly sponsor me more. So if you love any of those things, please consider using my link or my code, or you could just actually listen to the ad instead of skipping through it. That's also really, really helpful and a free way to support. And finally, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I love receiving those. I get like a lot of dopamine from them, but it's like that sustainable, fulfilling dopamine that lasts a really long time. And if you leave a review on one of them, maybe copy and paste it to the other, because why not? And that's all, because I love you. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 